John 10 is where we'll be this morning. We've been preaching through the Gospel of John for almost a year now. And um, we are here we are in John chapter 10 this morning. This is one of those... Many, many chapters in John stand out, but this is one of those. I, the next chapter will be the same, chapter 11 with Lazarus' resurrection. But John chapter 10, uh, there, was, there was a news story that came across my computer. I was just checking news uh, yesterday, actually, as I was studying and preparing, and I, I saw a connection, I'll explain. But in, in San Antonio, Texas this week, there was um, a big self-help motivational speaker seminar, Tony Robbins, who... Some of you may have seen, but part of this seminar, the seminar is called Unleash the Power Within, uh, but part of this seminar involved firewalking for the participants in the seminar, or walking on coals, hot coals. And so the story was that there were about 40 people that were treated for burn injuries uh, as part of this seminar. There were some 7,000 registrants for this seminar, and reportedly most of those participated in this this little uh, coal walking um, part of the of the evening. There, this was done during the the part of the conference was called "Turn Fear into Power," uh, and and he talks about this on his website. This is from his website. He said, "Storm across a bed of hot coals. Once you start doing what you thought was impossible, you'll conquer the other fires of your life with ease." So I thought, I've got the deacons actually setting this up right out here in the parking lot. So if you want coffee this morning, you're going to have to walk across the coals. And some of you, it might be worth it, I know, just to get that cup of coffee. Um, But it's pretty remarkable that you could get thousands of people kind of worked up into this self-help frenzy to to inspire them to, to do this. And this many people doing this at one time. And again, I read this story as I was thinking and working on John 10. I don't mean that was like, that was what I was studying was the news. But uh, hearing about shepherd and sheep, this is this figure of speech of sheep, shepherd. It's, just, this, this, it's an illustration that we see throughout Scripture. It's a very common word picture in the Bible. And, and, and the picture of, of us as sheep is not a very flattering one. <laughs> That, that, and I was thinking that coal walking crowd, this is the connection, it reminded me, I've read many stories of, of the dumb things that sheep do. And so you have sheep that just kind of, one goes over the edge of the cliff and the other just keep following. You have this pile of dead sheep at the bottom of a cliff. Or I've seen this video of, you know, one sheep, they're all kind of running across the field in the line. The front one jumps, there's nothing to jump over, but he just jumps like this imaginary object. And so every other sheep does the same thing, and just because they're stupid. And uh, so that's kind of the picture of sheep, but I, I, it's, just, it's just thousands of people again, anyway, walking across coals. If you've participated in that event, I'm sorry, I'm not meaning to be offensive to you, but um, has anyone raised sheep? Any? Okay. I'm not surprised. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> And so, so you, you probably have a better perspective. I, a couple of you in here have, have been around sheep more than I have. And so I, I, I have not been around sheep. I think it would have been really cool to have one up here and for me to be able to hold one. And I think they look really neat and cuddly and soft. And I've pet them at a petting zoo, but that's about as close as I've come. There's a, there's a, there's a famous book though. It's by Philip Keller. It's, it's a shepherd looks at Psalm 23. Some of you may have this book. 
Um, and he was, he, he is a, he was a shepherd. He's dead now, but he was a shepherd. So he spent all kinds of time around sheep. And so he looks at this biblical image of a shepherd and sheep through, through that, through those eyes of, of a man who spent so much time with sheep. And, but the things that he says about sheep, that they, they, sheep don't come off looking too good. <laughs> uh, the things, the way he describes them, he not, they're not very intelligent. They're uncreative, they, meaning they don't adapt well. You, they just are, they have routines and that's it. They give, they're given to listless wandering. They're timid, easily frightened, stubborn, defenseless, and there are other adjectives. But you, you get the picture. But this is how Scripture speaks of us. <laughs> this is not a self-help motivational sermon, I'm sorry. Uh, Psalm 100, verse 3, It is He who made us and we are His We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. And there we could just go on and on with passages that refer to to us, people, as sheep. Now the point of that is not so God can make fun of us. That's not why that image is recorded for us in Scripture. He's not mocking us with this metaphor of using, referring to us as sheep. It's, it's there to help us. It's there to instruct us. It teaches us about ourselves, how we really are. And we are needy. It teaches us about how, who God is and how He is. And He provides and He leads. It teaches us also about God's mission. And, and this is what you need to see is that the shepherd is on mission. It, Jesus came, as we'll see, to lay down His life for his sheep. He came to call his sheep to, to life, to abundant life. And not in, not just to, in a, to, to in a regional kind of way, not just to Jews only, but as you will see in verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock with one shepherd. You see what that language is there? This is not a shepherd who's just kind of meandering around, wandering with the sheep until, until just life ends. No, he is on mission. He is working for something. And so the big thought of John 10, I know we're going to cover a lot of ground this week and next, but just, just get this, that Jesus is our good shepherd who will do whatever it takes to make us into one flock. He is, he is dead set on that, that aim. And so in this passage, we come to the third and the fourth of the seven great I Am statements in John's Gospel. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And then today, I am the door and I am the good shepherd. And so when he, when he says, I know we're familiar with some of those statements, and when he says that he is the good shepherd, he uses one of two Greek words for the word good, and uh, we're not going to go into a long Greek lesson, but just, I just I'm going to say the Greek word so you can distinguish them, but the first very common word for good in the New Testament is, is it's the Greek word agathos, agathos, it just means intrinsically good, good in nature, morally good, that's the word agathos, but there's another word, kalos. And this is the word that means beautiful. It's, it's good. It's translated good often. But the idea is beauty. It's, it's an outward display of inward goodness. And that is the word that Jesus uses to describe Himself here when He says, I am the good shepherd. 
You could say, justifiably, I am the beautiful shepherd. And he, and, and, and he's not talking about, obviously, he's not talking about physical beauty and boasting at that. He's, it, but it's not, what I wanted you to see, this is not one dimensional goodness. It's just not, it's not good that's the opposite of bad. You know, so we have, you know, you go to the fridge in the morning, make a bowl of cereal, and you say, oh, this milk's not good, you know. Okay, this milk's good. Like, it's, it's good milk, bad milk, you know, that's not, that's not it at all. Think, if I could illustrate it, think of a Thanksgiving meal. It's one of my favorite holidays. It's, and, and so you, you got Thanksgiving, and you got your family together, and, and you got a meal, and you got people that you haven't seen in a long time, and people are reconnecting and co- co- conversing at the table, and, and laughter, and just before the meal is served, you, you're bring, you go into the kitchen and get something, and you come back in, maybe as a grandfather or grandmother, and you stand there, and you see all of these people that are just talking and mingling, and you just stand in the doorway and you say, oh, this is good, this is good, this is beautiful, it's beauty that's... It's that there's this outward display of this, this goodness of, of relationship and community and love. And that's the idea. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This is beauty. This external display of this internal goodness of the Lord. So, so that's, what, that's what we see. And so the question that we're going to kind of be answering this morning is, what is it about the shepherd that makes him so good, so beautiful. And that's what we'll see this morning. Four, four displays of our shepherd's beauty this morning. And the first one is this. It's this profound intimacy that he has with the sheep. Profound intimacy. Verses 1-6 to six is where we'll see this. Verse 1, John chapter 10. He begins, Truly, truly, I say to you, now if you've been with us in our series so far, you're already clued in here. When he says that, this little verbal clue, he's saying, listen up. Don't miss this. You've got to hear what I'm about to say. You take this to the bank. You've got to get this. Truly, truly, I say to you. And then he goes on to paint this verbal picture of this scene that was very familiar to his hearers. Now we're going to see in verse 6 that they're going to completely miss the point of the image, but they understand the image. I mean, the the physical image was something very common to them. But verse 1, So truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear His voice, and He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. When He has brought out all His own, He goes before them, and the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now what's being described here and the image that Jesus is using is is a very common occurrence, a morning occurrence in Palestine here. So, 
Here's the scene. It's early morning. The sky is just starting to get light, but the sun's not over the horizon. Dew's still on the ground. And you have this picture of a shepherd, rod in hand, and he's, he's walking a well-worn path outside of town to a field just on the edge of town. And there, as he gets close to this, this sheep pen, this sheep fold, he begins to hear that sound. ba and so that's the scene. It's early morning hours, shepherd walking to the sheepfold. And so he gets there, and what he sees is this, this sheepfold that he describes. It's, it's just, it, it's like a corral. That's how I would think of it is. And so just a small walled enclosure, a little fenced in area where the sheep would be kept. And so all kept for the night. And so the shepherds in, in the sheepfold would have several flocks of sheep in it. So multiple shepherds, multiple flocks, but they were all in there together during the night. The shepherds of a, a certain town or a village, they would kind of co-op together. And they would, uh, I think of in West Texas with all the cotton, uh, cotton farmers and stuff, you have the co-op, you have the cotton gin, and all the farmers contribute to, to support and to upkeep the cotton gin, and they all use it so they all, have, all don't have to have their own gin. Well, this is kind of the picture. There's the town sheepfold. And so they all, they all pull resources to, to build this enclosure and they, they share the expense of hiring a gatekeeper to watch the sheepfold at night. And so the shepherds, they go out during the day, they spend the day leading their flocks, food and water, and in the evening they come back and they lead their sheep to this pen and they entrust the care of the sheep to the gatekeeper, who's kind of a security guard. And so... The, the gatekeeper's job, keep the thieves from stealing the sheep, keep the wolves from eating the sheep. So that's, that's the picture here. And so the only people permitted to enter the sheepfold are the shepherds. And the shepherds go through the gate. And so the gatekeeper knows the shepherds and he knows them well. And anybody who tries to enter that corral another way, climbing over the wall, is clearly there for nothing good. They're thieves and robbers. And, and as we'll see in Jesus' analogy here, who are the thieves and robbers? It's these false shepherds. In the, in, in, in the context, it's, it's, it's the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Israel, those, and those who went before them and those who have come after them. They're, they're, they're thieves, they're robbers. They've crawled over the wall into the sheepfold to steal sheep that aren't their own. They're, they're, they're not there as animal rights activists to set these poor sheep free that are being kept against their will. This is not PETA. The, 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 the Pharisees and these religious leaders, they're not concerned for the well-being of God's people. They're, they're not sheep rescuers, they're sheep rustlers. And, they're, they're there, and their only concern is their own personal gain. They want sheep, yes. They want a flock. They want followers. They want admiration. But they don't care about people. They don't care about God's sheep. They only want to exploit them and use them for their own selfish gain. I mean, we see all kinds of examples of this already in our study of the Gospel of John, but in the immediate context, this is, this is, this is the context in John 9. You remember the healing of the man who was born blind? It's what should have been a time of rejoicing. What do, what do we find the religious leaders of Israel doing? What do we find the Pharisees doing? They are furious. And they are all worked up. 
And, and, and so they're not excited for him. They don't rejoice with him. They don't care about him or his parents. They only want to use him in the situation to get at Jesus and to, and to control the people through intimidation, through threats. If you side with Christ, if you, if you agree with this man's story, you're going to be expelled from the synagogue, which means you're basically cut off from life. These are thieves and robbers exploiting God's people. There are modern examples of this, brothers and sisters. There are still thieves and robbers trying to climb over the wall. There, there's false teachers who fleece God's people. They, 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 they propagate these ear-pleasing heresies just for their own selfish, selfish gain. They use the Bible, they talk about God, and they say they want people to be prosperous and healthy and wealthy and whatever, happy. But they've climbed over the wall. They've, they're, they're stealing sheep. They're trying to exploit them for their own personal gain. And they, they, they use, they prey upon people. They use their, quote, faith gifts to finance their own, their own wanton pleasures. And, and we see it all over the place. I know it's easy to poke our fingers at them out there. But I'm saying we've we got to be careful. We've got to be on guard. There are, there are all kinds of versions of this. But I, we see it in our community. We see it in, I see it in my neighborhood. I, see it, uh, I hear it on the radio. I see it on television. It's all over the place. But so, so there are those thieves and robbers. Back to the picture in John 10 here. Thieves try and sneak over the wall, but what does the shepherd do? The shepherd walks through the gate. He has the right to enter the sheep pen. So when a shepherd would come to the sheepfold in the morning, what he would come upon is a very chaotic scene. Because <laughs> you have all of these individual flocks that the shepherds bring in at night and they turn them in, but by the morning they're all mixed together. They don't stay together in single file line and, you know, a little sign that they stick to stick, stick together around. No, all the flocks, they're all intermingled. And so how, how can a shepherd isolate his sheep? How can he separate his flock from all the other flocks that are in there? And the answer we see is his voice. His voice. He had a, he had a, every shepherd had a distinct call for his sheep and the sheep knew that call. It was this kind of sing-song, woo! I don't know what they did. Uh, sound like uh, Howard Dean there for a second there. Sorry, uh, but they they had some kind of call that they would use, and and they used often as they spent their days with the sheep. And so the sheep knew the voice of the shepherd. He spent he spent his life with these animals. Most of the sheep were not for food and sacrifice. Most were kept for wool. So there would have been years with these sheep, and so the sheep have this call, and so they hear His voice, they would hear that call, and they begin walking toward it. But He doesn't just have this generic call for his for all of His sheep. He has, we'll see, He has this distinct names. He has little pet names for each of His sheep. And again, when He spent so much time with the sheep, he, he knows them. He knows them individually. He probably made up names based on their appearance. You know, Fluffy, of course, and Long ears and big nose and whatever. However names he had for his sheep, he, he had these names. That's the, that's the image. And this is true to life. And so, so he made his generic call, but he would also call his sheep by name. By the name they knew. 
And as the sheep hear his familiar voice, as they hear their names, they go to him. And the shepherd leads them out of the pen and, and he forms them again into one flock and they go and he leads them to pasture. And the sheep won't follow any voice, the text says. They only follow the shepherd's voice. But the point, the point of, 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 is this, is that the shepherd of our souls, Jesus, he's, he's forming His flock. He's calling people to Himself. He's doing this. This is what He's doing here. This is what He's doing today. And His own hear His voice and they trust Him and they follow Him. But the thing that's so striking and that stands out in this, in this image, in this passage, is how intimate the shepherd's knowledge is of the sheep. That's the, you see the personal character of this. I mean, we think if, even if, if you have sheep and if you've been a part of a, a, a farm or some kind of sheep ranch or something like that, and western shepherding is very different. We herd sheep like we you know, herd cattle and drive them and got all kinds of sheep and and in the United States and Australia and other places, that's, that's kind of how shepherding is done. It's not, it's not personal. I mean, I, I've married into a ranching family. They don't have sheep, but they have, they have cattle, and they don't have pet names for their cows. They have one name. It's called beef, and, and every cow shares that name. And so, uh, so they're, 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 it's different. But Palestinian shepherding, very different from that, as we was already saying. It's very personal. Very intimate. Small flocks, long relationships, closeness, not driving but leading them. No names, their voices recognized. This is the image. And it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Jesus is His loving shepherd who knows us by name, who has called us, who leads us to follow Him into His pasture with His voice. He knows his people collectively as, as one flock, but he also knows each individual sheep. He knows us by name. He, he, and, and those names, as we know later, are written in the, what, the Lamb's Book of Life. And you look down, look down to verse 14 and 15 with me, and we'll get there in a moment as well. But you see again how intimately Jesus knows his own. Knows you and he knows me. Verse 14, I am the good, the beautiful shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And they get this, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Did you hear that? That's incredible. (laughs) Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, that Jesus' knowledge of His sheep is, He just plunges into the Trinitarian depths. That the, that the, that the model for, for Christ's knowledge of us and our knowledge of Christ is, is this eternal loving relationship that the God the Father has with God the Son. That's the, that's the standard. Jesus knows us just as well as He knows the Father and just as well as the Father knows the Son. There's no greater statement of closeness, of close knowledge and intimacy. No greater way to state it than that. 
There's nothing like that on earth. So do you realize the depth of Christ's knowledge of you? Do you think about that? Or do, you, or do you think, well, there's all so many of us, and you know, one one God, one Shepherd, and I'm just one of the one of the sheep being herded by Jesus and herded to heaven, or something like that? No, He's infinite, and He knows you. He knows you through and through. He He He, he knows everything. He knows your secret thoughts and struggles and ambitions and he knows your past he knows failures he knows regrets he knows hurts he he knows your unrealized longings he knows your little idiosyncrasies he knows what you're thinking right now he knows everything and he loves you <laughs> and he loves you and through faith he has opened up the way for us to know him personally Closely, intimately. It's not not just to know about Him, but the sheep know Him. They know His voice. They know the Shepherd. The Shepherd is everything to them. And Jesus, Jesus is to be and can be everything to you. Think of like Paul, that I may know Him. I count all things lost. Be the surpassing value of knowing Christ. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection. And so this, 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 is, this is profound intimacy. And it shows us again the goodness, the beauty of our shepherd. So that's the first thing. First thing that shows us our shepherd's beauty. Second thing is his bountiful provision. His bountiful provision. Verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you. You know it. I'm not going to say it again. I am the door of the sheep. And so he, he's using the same realm of shepherding and sheep, but he's going to develop it a, in, a, in a further way here in, in verse 7. And, and again, his hearers would be completely tracking with him. This is a very familiar image to them. And so, after a shepherd's flock was separated from other sheep in the sheepfold and they were led out, they're, they're near the pastures where they would graze, there would be other smaller kind of enclosures, little fenced areas, and they would use limbs and rocks and whatever they could to make these little smaller kind of temporary enclosures out in the pasture. And so uh, so the shepherd, though, would it was not some fixed, permanent um, corral like the one near town. So this was something small. There was no gate, no gatekeeper. So what would happen is the, sh- the shepherd would lead the sheep into that small little enclosure, and then he would lay across the opening. He would be the door. He would be the gate to that little pen. And, and so the sheep could go out to pasture and go graze for a while, and they would go through the shepherd over him, by him, and then if they got spooked, they could run back into the corral for safety and security, and they would also pass through the shepherd as he serves as the door. So that's, that's the image here. And Jesus is saying, He and He alone is that door. He's that gate by which people can enter into God's abundant provision for them. And so, verse 8, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I, however, am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find 
pasture. So contrary to the thieves and the robbers, the Jewish leaders who did not care for the spiritual good of the people, contrary to them, Jesus is the door, the shepherd door, who provides both security, that they can they can be saved or literally kept safe, and He also provides for their daily needs, pastures, they can go in and out and eat and enjoy. In verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. A thief, he's, it's singular here, and I, I think there is reference here to the devil himself and to all of his pedigree. And, and, and the false shepherd, but he cares only about feeding himself, not building his flock. And this is true of those who follow in his steps. They steal sheep in order, again, to exploit them and, and then to kill them. But Christ has come to benefit the sheep. So at the end of verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus Jesus came to give life. Life. I know that's such a familiar phrase, but don't miss this. This is one of the whole purposes of preaching through the Gospel of John, that we will know more and more and more of the life that Jesus offers. He didn't come so we can exist. He didn't come so we could just kind of you know, make it to heaven and not, and not have to go to hell. He came so that we could have life, an abundant life, here and for eternity. Not restricted, not puny, not barely existing, just kind of hanging on life, but overflowing, wide open, full, abundant life. Do you realize what you have in, when you have Christ as your shepherd? There's this abundance of provision for every need. Wide open pasture, abundant life. This is what God has given you in Christ. If Jesus is your shepherd, if you are His sheep by faith in Him, you will never lack what is necessary and good for your soul. Uh-uh. You can lose wealth. You can lose health. You can lose your job. You can lose friends. You can lose your home. You can lose family. You can lose people to death that you love. You can lose everything but you will not lack anything that is needed and good for you. You can count on our shepherd's provision of grace to be sufficient for everything. And I don't mean to give you a picture of the Christian life where it's some kind of miserable existence where you just kind of crawl along and grin and bear. That's, that's not it at all. The picture, again, is open pasture. Perfect provision, free to roam and graze and live this life, enjoy the grace that He gives. Paul says it in a very different way, but it's the same thought. I think in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter one, verse three, as he's describing this life that Christ gives, is it's that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's this abundance of provision. There's nothing more, there's nothing better than God that God can give you. Do you realize that? 
I know we, I know you struggle, and I don't mean to minimize some of the pain and the hurt that you're experiencing, but whatever God, whatever God is leading you through right now, realize this, there's nothing more, there's nothing better that God can give you. He's already given it himself. You have him. And as we sang, I think last week, or two weeks ago, Jesus is better. He's better than everything. He's better. He came that we might have life, abundant life. So that's the second way we see the beauty of our shepherd. The third, the third display of this is in verses 11 to 13, and it's in his fierce protection. Fierce protection. He, he goes on, and again, he's still working with the same analogy, but he develops in a, in a further way. And so, again, we are trying to keep up, but the, his hearers would have known exactly what he's talking about. But when, when evening came over Palestine, there lurked all kinds of dangers. This is why there was the sheepfold. This is why there was the gatekeeper. But this is, it was dangerous. In, in Bible times, in, in, in the countryside around Israel and throughout Palestine, there were all kinds of wild animals and predators. Many of them don't exist there today. Uh, the land has changed so much. But there were lions and wolves and jackals and panthers and leopards and bears and hyenas, all kinds of predators there. And so the life of a shepherd was very dangerous. We know, I mean, we know from David's adventures and fights and, you know, with at least the lion and the bear and, and shepherding sheep. But, but here Jesus says the good shepherd, he protects his sheep. He protects them. He protects them even to the point of death. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So here, here's the picture. If the sheep, shepherd goes away, you get this. If the shepherd goes away for a few days and, and maybe goes to Jerusalem and, and for, for worship and around one of the festivals, he, he would hire someone to tend the flock to watch over them while he's gone. They're a hired, he's a hired hand. And so to the hired hand, watching the sheep, it's just a job. It's a way to make income. It's a way to provide for his family, meet his needs. It's, that's it. He doesn't have the same commitment to the sheep that the shepherd does. They're not his. So his interest in the sheep is income. It's, he's more concerned about his own self-preservation. And so if a hungry wolf is encroaching, and is really getting aggressive, wanting to get to the sheep, hired hand, he's gone. It's not worth it. There's, no, there's, no, there's not worth risking the injury or his own death, perhaps, to, to protect these dumb sheep. That's how he sees them. And so... The wolf is allowed to kill some sheep, scatter the rest. And so he, the hired hand, he lacks that care, personal concern, and investment in the sheep that the shepherd has. So verse 14, so that's the hired hand. I, on the other hand, as opposed to the hired hand, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for sheep. I, I care. I care and I will, I will lay down my life for the sheep. Now we understand he's speaking prophetically. And here he uses four times in this passage. 
I will lay down my life for the sheep. And he's speaking of his death. But, but what's the contrast here is the love of the shepherd for his sheep that is, for his sheep that is foreign to the hired hand. Do you, do you know that Jesus loves you? I know that's so trite to say. And you know, it's one of the first songs we teach our kids. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But do you, do you know Christ loves you? Do, do, you, do, you, do you understand that? Do you, or do you doubt it? Do you question it? Maybe because of your past. Maybe because of something in your life right now. Did you, but do you question the love of Christ for you? Or do you view Jesus more as a hireling than you do a good shepherd? Do you view Him as someone whose commitment to you is really only superficial? If you if you're if everything's going well and, and you're you're doing well and you're having your quiet time and you're going to church and your your kids are doing well and so everything's going going great and, and you're really trying hard to be a good person and then yes I, I understand Christ loves me but then when when that stops and he's, he's gone he's gone is Christ a hired hand to you or is he a good the good beautiful shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. If you really struggle with believing God's love for you in Christ, I just say to you, there's no greater demonstration than the cross. And again, you've heard that many times, but you got to go there. you gotta, you got to dwell on that. Jesus willingly gave his life for you died in your place as your substitute, there's nothing more that He could say to say, I love you. 1 Peter 2.24 He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. 1 John 4.9 and 10 Listen to this. In this the love of God was made manifest. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And in this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is love. Jesus is not a hireling. He is the Good Shepherd. And He lays down His life for you. And He has. Fourth and final just display of the Shepherd's beauty. We see it in his intimacy, his intimate, profound intimacy that he knows the sheep. We see it in his provision for us. We see it in his protection of us. And finally, we see it in his relentless pursuit of us. Relentless pursuit. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now the other sheep that are not of this fold, I, I think what's, what Jesus is saying is when he, when he's, earlier on when he's speaking of these sheep, he's speaking of, of, of the Jewish people and the Jews in the context of the sheepfold of Judaism. But here he's saying there are, there are other sheep, there are, there are other nations, there are other Gentiles that are not of this fold of Judaism. And this begins in the book of Acts when the gospel just is it just breaks upon the Gentile nations of the world. And it's because of 
It's because of this dogged, relentless pursuit by Christ of His other sheep to bring His other sheep that you and I, it's because of that that you and I have heard and believed the Gospel of Christ, if you have. We are the other sheep in the story. But He's still, He's still bringing other sheep. He's still calling. He's still on mission. The sheep shepherd image is, it communicates that. And he's not casual about it, like we are. He's not apathetic. He is under compulsion. It's this divine must. We've seen this in John already. Son of, son of man must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer and die. Here it is. I'm, I must bring them also. It has to happen. It's going to happen. What about you? What about, what about your life? Do you, because after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus said to His disciples, and we're going to see this soon, John 20, verse 21, As the Father sent Me, even so, in the same manner, I am sending you. <laughs> we, we are sent to join in this mission that Christ is on, to, to call His other sheep that are not of this fold who must come also. This is, this is what characterizes your life and my life if you're in Christ. This is the big, this is the headline of your life. We, we have to see all of our lives through, through the lens of John 10.16 10, here. This is the mission. This is the Great Commission in, in essence, in a different a different wording. We are joining in the mission that God is on to make one flock with one shepherd. We don't just exist to make a living. We don't just exist to raise our families. We don't just exist to fulfill our dreams. We exist for the glory of God and the mission of God. That's it. That's it. We have jobs. We have families. We, 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 we do things and we're involved in life. But everything in life, it doesn't mean that we have to Put all that aside so we can be part of the mission. Everything in life is to be seen through the lens of this mission. And it changes everything. It changes how we view ourselves. It changes how we view the world. It changes how we view our neighbors. It changes how we view uh, our careers. It changes how we view money and time and everything. When you see it like this. Now we're gonna, I'm going to show a video and... and um, just, just to give some application, basically, of this message. It's not everything. It's not the only way to apply this. It's a video that's made by um, a group called International Project. You can go to internationalproject.org and watch it again if you want to see it later. It's called The Foreigner Among Us. And it's, again, it's one possible application of this message and, and as we see all of life through the lens of Christ's mission here, making one flock, one shepherd, and, and it's, it, it's on a subject that I know is very controversial, and that's not the point of showing this video. It's on immigration. And I know that's a, that's a hot button right, issue right now. But we, we talk about, we hear it talked about all the time in, in the political realm. We talk about it in reference to security. We talk about it in reference to economics. But we don't often enough think about it as Christians in the realm of what does Scripture say. How do we view it through the lens of John 10:16, and so the point is not to persuade you on candidacies and immigration issues in the political realm. I would say that's. I'm not saying it's unrelated, but that's kind of over here. I want us to think 
biblically through this lens. And so as Christians, we need to think about immigrants through, again, a John 10.16 sort of way. And so this is a longer video than I would normally show. It's about 10 minutes, but uh, um, it describes some of those that are working um, with foreigners in our borders. And so as, as, as we'll watch it, and then I, I want you to be thinking, we have opportunities right here uh, among us to be involved in this international ministry. We have, we have international folks all over this area. And I could just say in Fayetteville and Fayette County and Clayton County here in this immediate area, there are all kinds of people from all over the world who are right here among us. And, we, and you, you have opportunities to, to, um, to, to reach out, to, 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 to open your heart, to open your life, to open your ears, to open your home, to open your mouth to them. And, and we need to give ourselves to those. So one of the things I would just I'd say, it's easy for a church... Even like ours. Let's just get real personal and close to home. It's easy for a church like ours. We love the truth. We, we have a high regard for the Scripture. But it, we could become, it's a temptation to become kind of ingrown and indifferent about the world. And we, we can get absorbed in us and what we have going on here. And what we see in John 10, and we're going to see this more next week, is that this is, this is about God's electing grace. His election and it will not fail. If you, are, if you are His sheep, His sheep will hear His voice and they must come and He will protect them to the end. And, and so what that should do for us, so those who are in Christ, it shouldn't make us turn in on ourselves. But it can. We can pervert that and twist that. It should make us, one, grateful to God for His grace. And it should make us compassion for, make us filled with compassion for those that don't know that grace. But instead, we can be given to kind of ethnocentrism and nationalism and even, even forms of racism. We can be comfortable with our fold, with our kind, and not care as much about one flock that Christ is so passionate about. So, but Jesus' mission is not about preserving our fold. It's about making this one flock. We see it, we'll see it in John 11, verse 51 and 52. This is the next chapter here. You have Caiaphas, the high priest, who's unknowingly prophesying about Jesus. And he says that he, he, it says that he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. He has other sheep. And they must come also, and He will make them into one flock with one shepherd. We see it in another writing of John, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So when Jesus laid down His life for the sheep, He purchased sheep from every tribe and tongue and, and, and people and nation. So whatever ethnic group you happen to be among at any given time, in whatever cultural distinct group, there are sheep to be found there. And we should not withhold the treasure of the Gospel from them. So don't, don't ever just be careful not to look with contempt upon others. 
Other ethnicities, other cultures, other uh, groups. Look with compassion. Look through the lens of John 10.16. Don't, don't hold back. So this is why, brothers and sisters, this is why this is important to us as a church. It's not because it's our idea and because we just want to do something different. It's, 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 it's because of this reality. We want to pursue this gospel-based ethnic diversity in our own flock, in our own community. We want to have this Christ-exalting harmony across cultures, across ethnicities. This is why we have to resolve to love our neighbors and our co-workers and our classmates and our family members and people in our community. And we have to do so through the lens there of John 10.16 and say, Christ, you have other sheep. And out of this fold, they must come also. So I'm giving myself to them. That's why we've got to resolve, brothers and sisters. We cannot let up. We cannot ride the coattails of past successes and world missions as a church and feel like we've done our job and we've done good and we've got a nice budget and we've got missionaries. We've got to keep our foot on the floorboard. We've got to keep going, going, sending, supporting those to the ends of the earth, unreached peoples of the world until Jesus comes because He has other sheep that are not of this fold and they must come also. He is gathering one flock, one shepherd. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to to, uh, refine our thoughts, refine our desires, refine our um, ambitions, refine our hopes um, through this, kind of sift those things through through the screen and through the grid of of this shepherd sheep picture that we've seen. We thank you for our good shepherd. We thank you that he's not a hired hand. Thankful that he loves his own. He loves his sheep. And that he will do whatever it takes to make them into one flock. And so we know that he still has other sheep that are not of this fold. They must come also and help us to give ourselves to that work of proclaiming Jesus, his voice would go out through us, calling his own to himself. We pray in Jesus' name.